Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. My name is Peter Ravella, and I'm the co-host of this show. And my name's Tyler Buckingham. I am the other co-host. Well, Tyler, big weekend. This is Labor Day weekend in the United States and on the American Shoreline, the biggest, one of the biggest tourism weekends of the year. And uh, man, what a cool weekend. And our second annual Endless Summer podcast, Tyler, one year ago today, we kicked off ASPN. Pretty cool. That's right. It's our birthday, everyone. We uh, we're turned one year old today, Labor Day. And it could not be a more appropriate day for us to turn one. Labor Day is an iconic beach and coastal holiday all over the American shoreline. People are showing up, traveling hundreds, thousands of miles, uh, probably not to Florida, but that's another story. Uh, but tourism is obviously so important. We have a, a great des- guest today, Peter, to talk about just that. We do. We want to Amer- welcome to the American Shoreline podcast, Erica Sears, who is with the Oregon Coast Visitors Association, one of the key organizations that promotes tourism on the uh, Oregon coast. Thank you for being with us today, Erica. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me to your birthday party. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. And listen, we're going to really break it down. We look forward to uh, talking all about your organization, what you all do, uh, how you promote the Oregon coast, and some of the issues that you have, uh, pros and cons of doing that. But before we do, Peter, let's have a quick word from a very uh, special sponsor that's been with us for one year. That's right. The American Shore and Beach Preservation Association, one of our original sponsors on Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline podcast network and coming up this fall october 22nd to 25th in myrtle beach south carolina the national asbpa conference one of the best coastal conferences on the american shoreline and folks listen up uh you got an extra week to get your poster abstracts in september 13th they're due now uh hurricane dorian has pushed it back a week so uh there's no excuse get get those abstracts in it's by far one of our favorite uh events at the conference and uh i I think peter mentioned this but don't forget we're gonna be there uh podcasting and uh bringing the story of this conference to you so uh if you are there you gotta come up and say hi that's right the american shore uh Shore Beach Association is welcoming uh, ASPN and Coastal News today as the exclusive podcast hosts of the conference. So we're looking forward to spending time in Myrtle Beach, uh, talking to the keynote speakers, other presenters, people attending the conference. It's going to be fantastic. And you should register now. And you can find that registration on the Coastal News Today website. But you can go directly to the ASBPA.org website. Sign up for the National ASBPA Conference October 26th. 2nd to 25th in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. All right, Erica, let's get down to business now. All right. So here we are. It's a beautiful weekend in Oregon. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what Labor Day brings to the Oregon coast in terms of tourism. Yeah, so it's definitely one of our busier weekends. It's beautiful weather. Uh, We were talking about it's so warm here in Austin, but it's actually excellent weather on the Oregon coast right now. Um, So we have domestic and international visitors that come visit us on the coast, kind of the last big weekend of the summer. Well, one of the most spectacular coastlines, I will say, having uh, lived in Oregon for eight years, I absolutely love the Oregon coast. Nothing like the Cascade Range, the Douglas fir, all these beautiful trees right down to the beachfront. I mean, fantastic beaches, great tide pools. It's just one of the best shorelines in America. And so, Erica, what a pleasure to have you 
on the show. Uh, tell us what your position is with the Oregon Coast Visitors Association. Yeah, so my official title is I'm the Destination Management Coordinator. It's a really rad title. I just throw that around all the time. People are like, I like that. Okay. Um, and yeah, we work. I work for the Oregon Coast Visitors Association. Um, in the show business, we call it ACFA, which is a lot easier to say as we go on with the interview. Um, but essentially, I work on the management side of tourism on the Oregon coast. So a lot of times people think that tourism organizations, all we do is promote. Like we're just designing all these posters and like posting them all over Portland and all over the country. But really what we're doing is making sure that we're having meaningful visitation to the Oregon coast and that our communities are prepared for the type of visitors that are coming and are receiving not only economic benefit, but are also appreciating like the way that their lives are being shaped by tourism. So I wear many different hats and I work on a lot of different projects along 363 miles of coastline. Wow. And, you know, that's a huge charge. And uh, we have from the from the day we started the American Shoreline Podcast Network, we knew that tourism would be an important uh, chapter, an important uh, area where we needed to bring coverage. And uh, it's apropos that we have you one year later because we've been struggling and just have not really uh, landed that perfect interview. And I think we got it today. What's interesting that you're talking about is that there's, you know, this is a sensitive subject, a huge economic value. I mean, in, let me ask you, in Oregon, what does, what does coastal tourism bring to the economy? Yeah, so it is one of the top three industries and provides a lot of jobs as well. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head right now. That's okay. But it is really impactful and beneficial on the Oregon coast and the state of Oregon. Yeah, well, I can only imagine. I mean, we... we often rep, uh, reference this study, uh, Houston's study out of Florida. Right. Uh, and it's, remind me, Peter, exactly what it came up with on the uh, economic value well, it, of, you know, of this the is, coast. This is in Shore and Beach magazine, which is the publication of American Shore and Beach. And an, a great economist has, has been covering the economics of coastal tourism down there. Uh, Dr. Houston, an article that came out, I believe, in the fall edition of Shore and Beach magazine. But the value of coastal tourism in that state is massive. It's in the hundred, it's in the tens of billions of dollars. Uh, it is the key uh, industry in the state of Florida, and that's true around the American shoreline. Not everybody's got the intensity of coastal tourism that Florida does. Uh, it happens to help that there's coastlines on both sides of that state, but. Um, in Oregon, I know people travel from all over the world to go to Cannon Beach and some of these really spectacular shorelines in, uh, in, in Oregon. Uh, what are the trends that you're seeing? How is the coastal tourism industry in Oregon? And what are you seeing in the change in how people use and enjoy the coast in Oregon? Right. So it just saw its ninth year of consecutive growth, and it's one of the only industries that continues to grow. Um, so people, when they think of the Oregon coast, do think of the north coast. It's in that Portland blast zone. Um, so people fly into Portland. Portland is just becoming a booming city, and people are moving there. So they all come out to the coast from Portland. So Manzanita, Cannon Beach, they have a lot of that impact. So when it comes to changes, we're seeing that on the north coast, on the north coast they're saying, hey, we need to slow down with tourism. 
We are completely at capacity. There are three-hour waits for our restaurants. The beaches are full of people. We need better stewardship messaging, transportation options, recycling options. And then on the South Coast, they're saying, hey, tourism is a legitimate industry. We want it too. But they're so much further from Portland Mm -hmm. that they're like, we want more tourists. We want them all year. What can we do to bring them here? Right. Get people to come down to Klamath Falls. Just take the little hopper flight down from Portland to Klamath Falls and head west to the uh, Oregon coast. What is the Dune National Park down there, which I have been to, one of, one of the spectacular places on the on the Oregon coast? What is the name of that? The National Dunes. Yeah, is it's kind it? of by Florence, more on the Yes, by coast. Florence. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, you can get a sand dune buggy out there. Um, and yeah, and that's managed by the Forest Service. In huge, massive dunes uh, all along that shoreline right there, and a really popular recreational space. I mean, not all tourism is with T-shirts and surfboards. These, this is an area that's really off-road vehicles, lots of people with buggies. Uh, they bring their RVs, come to that national park, and... Uh, and and just enjoy the spectacular view of that park. I love that place. This is the park I went to when I graduated from law school. We we went down and, and spent the weekend at yeah. that park. That was my I think I've heard some stories from that trip. Yeah, there were some stories on that trip, which we're not going to go into. (laughs) No, we we save those for uh, off the air. Right. But um, one of the interesting things that you're having to deal with that's a trend all over the American shoreline is over-tourism and the backlash to uh, growing numbers of people and having to manage them. Uh, You mentioned the recycling. I mean, when we're talking about over-tourism, we're talking about no parking, lots of trash, uh, uh, traffic issues, uh, trails being overcrowded, trailheads not having parking. You know, these are serious issues that local communities face, and you represent an organization that kind of uh, has to look after the tourism health of the entire coast. So how do you, A, how do you deal with those those communities that are saying, uh, you know, enough is enough. We can't. We're we're at our limit, or even above our limit. How do you how do you deal with them? Yeah. So we we have a lot of stakeholder sessions, and our strategic plan is based off of what our communities need and want, and divided up by subregions, so we know what the North Coast wants versus what the Central and South Coast wants. So there's different ways we can manage it. There's localized programs. One is called the Trailhead and Beach Ambassadors, which we just started this summer. And that's using locals to talk to visitors at those busy trailheads and say, hey, we're so glad you're here today, but you're wearing flip-flops or you're wearing stiletto heels. This is an eight-mile hike. Right. You probably need water. It's probably going to rain. Um, and we really got that program from one that was based in the Columbia River Gorge, which mm. I'm sure you've experienced yes. when you lived in Oregon. Fabulous place. So working on localized projects like that, there's also a network that's come out of the North Coast called the North Coast Tourism Management Network. Um, And so it's all these different organizations coming together, the state transportation, tourism businesses, tourism entities like Chamber of Commerce, uh, visitor centers are all working together to identify the problems and then creative solutions to go with them. But a lot of those businesses are still saying, yeah, we are really crowded in the summer. It's really sunny and everyone's here, but we still want more business during the winter. Right. So when you look at marketing, and I think that's what people think mm-hmm. tourism is, it's just marketing. It's not just that. It, right. Um, yeah. It's a lot more complicated than that. We try to do off-season marketing. So you can only see waterfalls during the winter. Right. The beaches aren't as crowded. You can see these beautiful storms. There's whale watching. So showing those options that you can do during the winter as well and bringing tourists during that time of year mountain biking trails are becoming really popular and with such a moderate climate that we have you can do that all year whereas at mount hood it's snowing you can't mountain bike there during the winter 
Um, so we're coming up with those options that people can have all year long. You know, one of the things I wanted to learn more about, uh, the Oregon Coast Visitors Association, uh, ACFA, mm-hmm. um, that, is that a statewide tourist uh, organization for the entire Texas, I mean, Texas, my gosh, Oregon Coast? Tell us about the organization. That's a little unusual that there's a single over arching umbrella organization for all that tourism. Right. It is unusual. Um, I guess Oregon's unusual because we are the best. <laughs> it is. I got to say, there's a lot of good things about Oregon. <laughs> um, but yeah, so our, our technical sort of title is the Regional Destination Management Organization. Okay. And so there's seven in the states. So the state tourism is called Travel Oregon. They have a really great team and hmm. they market and manage tourism at a statewide level with statewide initiatives. Wow. And then they divide our state up into seven in different regions. You have the Oregon coast, you have Southern Oregon, Eastern Oregon, Central, Portland. Okay. Um, and so we all have different climates that we're dealing with and different types of experiences, huh. but we have that, that umbrella organization of Travel Oregon that gives us guidance and resources and supports Okay. so that a visitor could have very unique experiences, but at the same time, um, it's kind of the same in all the regions that are getting that same quality of experience. Understand it. So the organization actually has... Um, uh, and is the, is a statewide organization. The coast is one of the seven tourism regions. Tell us about how it's funded um, and how much staff is there on the Oregon Coast Visitor Association. Yeah, so we are funded um, through Travel Oregon through the statewide transit lodging tax. So when you stay at a hotel and there's like a dollar, a couple extra dollars on there, that okay. is that statewide tax, mm-hmm. which Travel Oregon collects and then redistributes to the seven regions, depending on how much tourism, you know, they have quite the system for that. Okay. Um, so yeah, we do a lot of work. If you looked at all of our projects and the amount of land that we manage and the people, you would think we probably have a staff and we would like to have a staff of like 50 people. Right. And we are five. Wow. Yeah. And so if I'm if I'm in Manzanita and Manzanita may have a visitors association or some sort of visitor support organization is are those local chapters of of your organization or what's your relationship with local communities? Right. So we're sort of we say in the middle of the food chain. Okay. So we have travel Oregon above us and then we are next and then we work with all those local chambers. We call them DMOs or destination marketing organizations. Okay. So the Manzanita Visitor Center, the Cannon Beach Chamber of commerce. And so a lot of traditional tourism works with the tourism businesses. And we're really unique in that we also work with the Forest Service Hmm. and Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife and state parks and BLM. Hmm. They're an equal partner to us. So when it comes to, for example, marketing materials, we'll have a visitor guide that we do every year. And we're like, this is a beautiful piece. This is so inspirational. You see this like person looking over the ocean and then we'll show it to all of our partners, including state parks or BLM. And they'll be like, absolutely. Absolutely not. That is dangerous. The person, you're, you're encouraging people to do dangerous things. Get off of those rocks. Don't be there <laughs> when the waves are rocks. going. That's a social trail. You're encouraging people to do, you know, negative okay. actions. So mm-hmm. that's really where the management side comes in because we're like, with a tourism perspective, we wouldn't have caught that. Huh. But because we just rely so heavily on huh. those partners, we'll be like, we totally respect that. We want people to behave in a responsible way while they're here. Hmm. So we change to a different picture, which is safer and more. You know, I, I want to ask about that because when I think of the Oregon coast, Uh, I'm aware of the uh, public access laws and also that it's not a developed shoreline. It's it's really an undeveloped shoreline. And um, we're going to talk about why the People's Summit is called the People's Summit and a little later. But 
Um, how does that affect the the type of tourism that you're getting? I mean, it's different, right, than Florida, where you've got just houses and resorts just right on the water. I mean, there's quite a bit of, of coastal space that's undeveloped, and uh, I imagine the lodging and the accommodations and kind of the attractions, if you will, that are not the coast are going to be, up, you know, a little further inland. Right, yeah, it is definitely unique. Um all 363 miles of beach are open to the public, and that's been a bill that's been in for over 50 years, just had its birthday. So there can't be a hotel another, on the beach. Another big birthday here on the American so, Shoreline. So many that's birthdays. a big birthday. Well, two, the, 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 the states with the two best open beaches acts really, or statutes, are state of Texas is considered one of the top ones, and the state of Oregon both have solid statutory rights to public access along their shorelines. Right, yes, that's phenomenal, but we definitely do have different visitors, and we target different visitors, so you're not going to whip out your towel and get your tanning lotion on because it's never really that warm there. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting. I have a coworker. Her name is Katera, and she's our global salesperson. Uh-huh. So her job is to go to different countries and say, hey, we've, we've identified you as a great target audience because we think that your visitors would like our destination. And so, you know, there's obviously all these markets around the world. There's the Asian market. There's, you know, European. But we really target right now New Zealand, Australia, Germany, hmm, Canada. Really? Wow. Because they're outdoor recreationalists. Because they want to hike and they want to bike and they want to spend time in the outdoors. And they don't necessarily need this extremely finessed experience. Right. They're not looking to get into the high-rise condo and go to the all-package resort. This is more of an active shoreline where people are coming to bike. And and there's a lot of surfing on the Oregon coast, right? I mean, there it's cold water, but, you know, the wetsuits work up there. Yeah, it's becoming a, a more popular sport for sure. That's really interesting. How do... Uh how do you get that information about like international tourism trends? So that's where, again, we really rely on Travel Oregon. They're the ones that conduct that, that kind of research and share it with us. Um, we have like the Longwoods International Study that says like, why are people coming to Oregon? What do they want to do while they're here? How many are in their group? How old are they? Do they have kids? So you can really see what kind of demographics are coming and how we can cater what we have to those experiences. Um, and then we also have the Dean Runyon report, which shows how money is being spent, where, and kind of we put together why. So, huh. if, so if we see somebody wants to have a cultural heritage experience, they're coming to the Oregon coast, they want that. But we see where they're not spending money on that. That's what we're going to work on developing. Okay. Because we see they're not spending money on it because there's probably not that experience for them to have yet. I just love this strategic thinking, Peter. See, we, I wish, I, you know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean. We it, need to be better. It, well, I, when, you know, we work with convention and visitor bureaus, these tend to be localized uh, tourist development agencies in Oregon. I mean, in, uh, say, North Carolina or uh, in Florida, Florida. Yeah. or on the Texas coast. There's not a coordinating statewide body that operates the way you guys do where you've got the hotel occupancy tax is what it's called here. Um, those are distributed directly to the local visitor bureaus and not through a state entity. Now, the state will skim some of that money off and throw it into the general fund, but it's not dedicated like you guys do a coordinated state messaging and promotion for the entire state, including the coastal region. That's kind of an innovative and unique approach to coastal tourism planning, I think. It is. And do you know if that's a common uh, structure around the country, around coastal America? 
I'm not, I don't think it is, and I don't know enough about every state, and I'm yeah. sure after this there's going to be comments like, actually, we do have that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know another state that we work closely with is Virginia, and Chris Canfield is the VP of Tourism Marketing over there. Huh. And him and I recently went head-to-head and debated at our statewide conference, oh, which wow. was wild. We should have been covering that. Oh, we should yeah. Have. That um, sounds exciting. And But they work a lot in destination management as well, and that's why him and I were debating what was better, destination management or destination marketing. So there are other states that are becoming very creative and forward-thinking. I know that Travel Oregon is, and the state of Oregon is definitely one of the top. All right. Well, uh, I want to do a quick uh, kind of fire round with you about, you know, this is the, ultimately this is the Labor Day show. It's the end of summer. People around yeah. uh, the shoreline are going out. And I want to do a lightning round with you about your top five things to do on the Oregon coast. But before we do... I want to thank our sponsor, TI Coastal Services, Peter. Right, and I think uh, we are so happy to have back on as a sponsor at Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline Podcast Network, uh, Chris Gibson and TI Coastal Services from Wilmington, North Carolina. Look, what they're doing and their sponsorship is dedicated to the coverage of the Florida Shore and Beach Preservation Association meeting coming up in Hutchison Island, Florida in September. So we're going to be covering that conference thanks to TI Coastal Services. So a big shout out to Chris Gibson and the folks at that company for helping us cover that conference. We're looking forward to being there. And uh, I think TI Coastal Services in North Carolina, one of the premier coastal management uh, engineering firms out there, uh, just a track record of continued success. And so thank you to TI Coastal Services and Chris Gibson for sponsoring our coverage of the Florida Shore and Beach Preservation Association meeting in September. TI Coastal at TICoastal.com. Dot com. Check folks. them out. Check them out. All right, Erica, let's do lightning round. Top five activities to do on the Oregon coast. Give it to me. Let's hear number five. Okay. Eats locally sourced seafood. Okay. A lot of that. Now let's get, let's, let's dive into that a little bit more. Like, tell me what, what type, I know Dungeness crab, is that kind of a thing Mm. up there? Like, what are we talking about in Oregon? Salmon? Yes. The salmon season right now. Just went fishing, but that'll be number four. Okay. Oh, wow. (laughs) Let's, okay. Number four. Let's hear it. Okay. Dory fishing. Have you heard of a dory boat? Have uh, you? I, I, I think you row it. I know that, right? No motor. <laughs> How long ago was the Oregon? It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a I while. don't know. I'm thinking of a, a drift boat. No, that what I'm thinking of is a drift boat we used to have on the Rogue River. Uh, no, the Deschutes. Okay, dory fishing. No, fill us in. I don't know. What's a dory? What's a dory? <laughs> so it's a flat-bottomed wooden boat, and when you, you launch it through the waves oh, wow. to get out into the ocean, but then it's one of the only places places in Pacific City where you land it on the beach. So you have to surf the wave in and you haul and then your boat goes like 15 feet up the beach. That's how you land your boat, wow. your trailer and get out. Wow. So it's been happening for generations. We use my grandpa's boat that was built. Um, and you can go salmon fishing, bring your crab pots out. Wow. Yeah. And they, they no motor, right? No, or, we have a motor. Oh, you, no, have no, a motor. you don't okay. row this thing, Peter. <laughs> they used to, like they used before... To. <laughs> Before the motors In were developed. the good old days. <laughs> okay, so dory fishing off the shoreline. Number yeah. four is number, number three. Number three, I would say mountain biking. Oh, really? 
Yes. Oh my god. Is there a particular trail or uh, yes. that you would oh recommend at number three? So there's Whiskey Run Mountain Biking Trail on the South Coast, and I love the South Coast. It looks a little bit like the Northern Coast, but it's like rocky shores, very undeveloped looking, so beautiful, breathtaking. And we, one of the members of my team, has really been working on this mountain biking trail. Um, so you get views of the ocean and. Yeah. Well, I tell you, my favorite trail on the Oregon coast is Neocony Mountain. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't remember where that is. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I used to hike that when I was in law school there. And uh, it's, it's on the mid-coast or northern coast, isn't it? It's on the northern coast, yeah. yeah. And that's another one that could be my number three is hiking the Oregon Coast Trail, which yeah. I don't know if you've heard of that. Of course. Part so, of the Pacific Coast Trail that starts down in California and goes all the way up to Vancouver, Kent, right? BC? I, yeah, I think there might be some parts where it enters sex, but for the most part, it goes right along the Oregon coast. Okay. It's, um, the Oregon coast is 363 miles. I think the actual trail is like 366 or something. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. But there are some physical gaps in the trail that we're working on, but it will eventually be sort of like a New Zealand-style hiking experience where you could hike from town to town. Wow. So you have these incredible views oh, of the yeah. oceans and the rivers. Like the Camino. Like the Camino yes. in, uh, yes. in Spain. Where Come you... have that self-reflection experience and... Ooh. That you can stay in these like unique lodging and airstreams. I don't know. You're se- she's selling me on uh, I know. the Oregon coast God, right now. I think. And we're not even at number two yet. <laughs> We've only done three. Uh, so what is your number two top thing to do on the Oregon coast? Okay. Let's see. What I, I have to remember what I've already said. You Spinning. had yeah, eat local, mm-hmm. dory fishing, and... The bike trails and the yeah. Oregon Trail, the hiking trail. Okay, so Mike yeah, that's like four. hiking. Yeah, I guess it's that's like four. four. We can we can, we'll run that four. So, do we have a the penultimate activity, summertime activity on the Oregon coast? You know, I feel like the rest of the Oregon coast would be like, "What? This is what you said." <laughs> we have so many good breweries. I knew it. Thank you. <laughs> I was Sorry. wondering where that's the beer rec- was going. That be. is recreation. The micro booze breweries in uh, Oregon are superb. They, they are as good as Austin or better. Yeah, they are incredible, and they ha- so many of them have these breathtaking views. You're drinking the beer that was brewed right there. Wow. Um, all different types of beer for all different types of flavors. They grow some of the best beards in Oregon, I've noticed. And where there's a good beard, there's good beer. I've, right, there's a correlation there. There's definitely a strong beard to beer. I would like right. the listeners to know I do not have a beard. No. You do not, no. <laughs> Beardly not. Um, but here's the question I have, which is one you probably cannot answer since you are for the entire region, the coastal region of mm-hmm. Oregon. But do you have a favorite beach town on the Oregon coast? You know, that that question is a tricky one. <laughs> yeah, there's a nothing but trouble. Okay, so, uh, um, well, okay. What about so I would you? say like a favorite stretch that okay, I really favorite love stretch. is on the south coast in the Samuel Boardman um, corridor. It is like the most incredible views. It's like these rocky cliffs. The water is always like turquoise blue down there. It's wow, always yeah. good weather down there. It's like the banana belt. Um, I'm Look trying to figure that. out how to have that on the north. How coast. far south are we now? Where yo, we are, yeah, we're looking on. at our map now. I'm looking at I'm looking at Google Earth. I'm scrolling down. I'm going south. I just passed uh, Florence. Yeah, I'm down we'll go to Lakeside. Almost down to Brookings. Almost down to the border. Okay, almost all the way down to California. Tyler's old haunt. 
Uh, That's right. Okay. I am a Californian. Yeah. We don't talk, we don't talk about that in Oregon. <laughs> down to Brookings. <laughs> down here. You know, I've never been to that part of the Oregon coast. But yeah, that southern part is absolutely breathtaking. Um, you can do kayaking through all these different arches. And, wow. Yeah. And scuba diving as well out of really? Port Orford, pretty small town. That's very unique. Yeah. Well, well, it's a really interesting stretch of shoreline, and uh, it's it's un- it's unique in that it's really sparsely populated, at least most of it. You know, between San Francisco mm-hmm. and I guess the next biz- biggest city, if you're going up, I'm truly, I mean, there's Bend and but Portland, well, that's but it, yeah, but I'm saying if you're going up, the, there's not a major metropolitan area. Uh, until, until, like you get to, until you get to Astoria, Astoria, which is kind of at the mouth of the Columbia, but it's, it's a pretty big town, right? Coos Bay is pretty big Coos on Bay's. the south coast as well. Okay. Yeah, but so Astoria definitely has that. That's a, a uniquely long stretch of pretty sparsely populated yeah. shoreline in Long. America. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's a, like a really unique or small town almost every 30 minutes. Oh, um, nice. And I've heard that it was set up like that back when they were, you know, transporting things by horse or boat. That every about 30 minutes, it's where you set up your new town around rivers. So hmm. when you're driving up the coast, you can just kind of. We, I feel like we talk in time. Like, if someone says, how far away is Tillamook from where you live? I'd never say it in miles. I'm like, oh, 30 minutes, yeah, okay. an hour, an hour and a half. Right. Um, but everything's about 30 minutes apart. Yeah, 20 minutes. Well, Peter, do you, you looked like you had something I you did. Wanted I wanted to ask. I, I wanted to get a feel for what is the assessment of the condition of the shoreline. If we could talk broadly. Um, are you hearing in local communities along the coast, how is the, the beach condition? What about sea level rise and erosion? How, how are the communities responding? What's the condition of the shoreline generally in the organization? Are there hot spots and problem areas that the state is trying to respond to? Or is the coast considered pretty good shape environmentally? You know, I wouldn't, as far as erosion, erosion, I'm sure is certainly happening, even just like in the area I live, my family's lived there for a long time. So they'll say like, it's changed so much since when my grandpa or my great grandpa lived there. Um, But I would say like a hot topic issue is about tsunami zones. Yeah. And so how they use science at one point to say like, oh, up to this point, Mm -hmm. if you pass this point, you'd be safe from a tsunami. Right. And then so everyone builds the fire stations and the police stations and schools and hospitals past that line. And then they say, hey, just redid the science. Looks like we need to move the line up a little further. Wow. Um, So that can be tricky. And I don't know if that science changes due to climate change, if we're going to have to just keep moving that line up and up and up. You mean yeah. further away from, from the shoreline. I yeah. think there were some interesting stories in Coastal well, we, News we Today recent, recently about the tsunami uh, building standards in the Oregon coast. And, and what I read is in the legislature this past session, they lightened up the requirements to allow some of these public infrastructure in the tsunami zone. And there were some folks around the country that sort of took a a little, were taken aback about Oregon doing something that is not typically the way Oregonians respond to these kind of problems. But I don't, I honestly don't know the details of that statute, but uh, I do know that it's been in the press lately in the last couple months on tsunamis. (laughs) But uh, tell us, so you're from Pacific City. Mm -hmm. And what county are we in in Pacific? Tillamook County. well, hey, everybody out there in the U.S. knows, right? If you don't have this in your local grocery store, you should get Tillamook cheese. I mean, the, the one thing when I was in Oregon, Tillamook ice cream, Tillamook cheese, milk, all the dairy so products. So it's a big dairy county, huh? Oh, my God. It's really the best. Um, but Bye. tell us about Pacific City. Yeah, so Tillamook County, definitely known for their cheese. The Tillamook Cheese Factory is a great place to stop by and learn about the dairy farmers and the families that produce that. My uncle's a dairy farmer. Um, They have a great farm, and they're very passionate about it. I'm from 
just like a mile north of Pacific City, there's an area called Tierra del Mar. Um, and my family moved there almost 100 years ago. We'll have our birthday next year. Wow. wow. Um, so every generation has come and lived there, and they move away, and then they come back, and they move away, and they come back. So um, we really love it, but we're definitely passionate about dory fishing, which we talked about. Yeah. Um, yeah, really hardworking people in that area. A lot of outdoor recreation, hiking, kayaking, horseback riding. It's beautiful. I'm looking at it on mm-hmm. Google Earth. It really... The- it's just spectacular, and and it is true that what's different if you look at a, a Google Earth map of Florida or in uh, New Jersey, and you see lots of high rises, lots of dense development right down to the water, that really isn't the style in Oregon. Um, is there a lot of development happening on the Oregon coast, and and how how is how are communities reacting to the? growing population on the coast and the growing yeah. tourism industry. Good so question. I wouldn't say there's been a lot of development, like there's not a lot of new hotels popping up or just constant businesses, um, but there is definitely a growing population and workforce housing is one of those issues and I'm sure that's an issue in a lot of tourism dependent areas so yeah. that's kind of an issue that everybody's dealing with separately it depends on the county the city that you live in so that is one of those challenges yeah. um with all the vacation rentals airbnb yeah i wanted to ask you about that this is a another theme that we're seeing around uh the american shoreline is that um local communities are beginning to uh regulate short-term rentals um, for the reason that we were talking about, or kind of an over-tourism uh, situation where, well, for one, you bring in short-term rentals that drives the cost of housing up, so it kind of pushed uh, local residents out. It also created this kind of cottage industry of effectively small businesses, mom-and-pop-owned places, but then they kind of get consolidated by bigger and bigger and bigger ownership groups. So. Um, what's going on on the Oregon coast? Are there any laws, any state laws that regulate uh, uh, short-term rentals that you're aware of or any local communities that have taken an interesting stand on that? So there are no state really laws on it yet. There are different community, like different cities around Oregon. I think Hood River, Bend have really tackled this issue. Um, then on the Oregon coast, it comes up a lot, and I don't know of any very strict policies that have come out of one. I think Manzanita has really started working on it. Definitely the north coast seems to be dealing with a lot of workforce housing and the central coast, too, depending on the city. Um, but yeah, it's a really tricky thing, too, and just the availability and the zoning in order to build workforce housing um, is a very complicated issue and it's one that there doesn't seem to be a very there is no simple solution on it right now and when you say workforce housing what you're talking about is the folks who serve in the tourism industry or are local work at local businesses and being able to afford to live in the places where everybody's coming to where the prices are going up is right and what is, does the state have an affirmative program to promote low-cost housing in these areas to support the workforce? Or no, okay, no, but that's yet. part of the issue. Yeah, and so a lot of businesses will say we cannot get enough people to work here, and mm-hmm. part of the issue is there's just nowhere close by for them to live. Yeah, right. I mean, right. this again, this is a common theme, especially during the season. You know, a lot of these jobs, like if you run an ice cream uh, parlor at a little town, you might be booming during mm-hmm. the summertime. But in the wintertime, if uh, if you can't sustain the level of business, you're not going to be able to keep that number of people employed. And that's a challenge for uh, local communities. Um, I, I do want to uh, – the reason why I, 
reached out to you, Erica, is because I had uncovered uh, information on this People's Coast Summit, and I really want to talk to you about it. But before we do, I want to uh, thank our sponsor, the DHI Group. New sponsor, Peter, uh, to our to our airwaves. Yeah, really important new sponsor on Coastal News Today and ASPN is the DHI Group, uh, a really superb uh, engineering science uh, water resources planning firm. We are so happy to have them on, uh, just first quality organization, and we want to thank DHI for being a supporter uh, and and uh, doing the work that they do on the American Trailline. That's right. Uh, basically, DHI Group is uh, a... a consulting company, engineering company that specializes, and I should say a software development company that specializes in the land water interface. And if you have a, a, a management issue with a river, a reservoir, an ocean, a coastline, or an aquifer, you can give these guys a call. Uh, learn all about them at dhigroup.com. All right, Erica, let's talk a little bit about this people's uh, the, it's called the People's Summit, I believe. Yes, the People's Coast Summit. The People's Coast Summit. And the People's Coast Summit is, of course, in reference to the uh, public beach law in uh, Oregon. Um, but this is a really cool gathering. Our audience knows that Peter and I love when people come together, uh, be it at the ASBPA conference or the chapter conference down in Florida. Uh, we like going to these things, the film festival. We like going to these things because it... it the energy of the people all coming together kind of uh, inspire thought and take us in new directions. And uh, y'all have a really interesting gathering. Uh, This year it's going to be in Garibaldi, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell us a little bit about this thing. Yeah, so it's an annual summit that we have. It's part party, part conference. Um, Speaking to exactly what you were just saying, the fact that we love having people together in a casual setting where it's not super formal. You don't need to be, you know, very strict and proper. You can hang out and get to talk to other coastal businesses. So we move it to different parts of the coast every year because it's on the North Coast. It's harder for South Coast people to be able to come up. But the idea is that it is a summit really based around coastal issues. So our workshops are like the nuts and bolts. Like what could a business owner come and say, hey, now I can maybe manage my social media better after that workshop. Now I know better skills for writing a grant, for tourism projects. So those are our workshops. And then our keynote speakers give kind of bigger picture thinking, inspirational messages that kind of inspire the audience that we have. So we also usually have entertainment um, in the evening. Last year, my boss, my director, Marcus Hens, got a Brazilian drumming band. Wow. And we had probably 10 bonfires on the beach. It was so wild. It was quite the party. Um, But yeah, it's just a great opportunity. And I was saying that I spend a lot of time trying to develop these workshops. Like, what do the people need? What do business owners need to learn? And then developing it. And and then at the end, I'm like, hey, what was your favorite part of the summit? And people are like, oh, just networking. (laughs) I'm like, I could get 20 tables and you guys could just hang out and talk. Well, you have to do the workshop. You really do. (laughs) It balances it all out. You have to. You know, they have to sit through that. And then so when they go to the beach, you're like, man, it's good to be out here on the beach and not in a workshop. But so this this People's Coastal Workshop, right? People Coastal, what is it called? The People's People's Coast Coast. Summit. Mm -hmm. The People's Coast Summit um, is designed for business owners along the coast to to get together and talk about how to promote and better manage 
their business, their tourism business. So it's not generally, it's not, it is open, I suppose, to the general public, but mm-hmm. but you're really tailoring it to uh, small business owners along the ta- uh, Oregon coast? Yeah, and a lot of small nonprofits that run historical societies, and we have a workshop that's called Beyond the Poster. So you have a history museum, and you keep putting a poster up, and nobody comes, even though you have this great educational exhibit going on. So right. how can you use storytelling and videos to bring people and learn about our local area? Um, yeah, so it's really open to everyone, and it's really fun. We do a campus style concept so we'll have one area that is like the main meeting point that's where the keynotes are that's where the meals are but then all of the other workshops are in city hall or they're in the library they're in a business they're in the pizza shop so then it's when people are walking to those workshops together and if they don't know each other it's like breaking ice like oh do you know where we're going you know do this on purpose Um, then they talk to each other (laughs) they have the workshop and they have some you know then they kind of connect over that and walk back so people get a walk out it's such a fun conference because you're not stuck in one room in a windowless room learning you're walking around town and then you're also seeing other shops and in the end visitors the way that Oregon Coast is set up is we're essentially a straight line we have highway 101 going north to south or south to north and our visitors we share them all so it doesn't really work in the coastal industry to say like I'm going to bring visitors to my town and that's it and I'm competing with all the other all the other towns instead we're sharing visitors so it's important for Newport to say, hey, you had a great time here. You should go up the coast and visit, you know, Depot Bay. I see. And so it's a great chance for them to all meet each other and get to know these different businesses around town. And you've also got, uh, for example, the um, the state level lobbying organization is represented. You mentioned that the Surfrider Foundation uh, sends a person. So I mean, this really, uh, you do gather quite a quite a good number of coastal stakeholders, even outside of say. Uh, the tourism industry say directly right um you know there are other stakeholders that are impacted by tourism and they can show up too and they have found it uh uh, useful for them yeah and that's what we i mean we consider the tourism industry all of those stakeholders so where you don't say like you should come into a tourism conference you are a part of tourism and your voice should be heard and we should be collaborating with you so Surfrider, they'll be coming and doing a workshop on ocean-friendly restaurants um, one of our keynote speakers eli tome is the director of a watershed and talking about the restoration work they've done and how that provides these opportunities for visitors to kayak on those rivers to hike up that you know that trail so it has a lot of different stakeholders the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association which is like the advocacy arm and this policy work on tourism they will be presenting saying you are a you know you're a coastal business maybe you're just a small mom and pop business but your voice is important at the state level to come and testify to to support bills to oppose bills like we want your voice there and I think a lot of times people don't know how they can interact at that state level especially if they're a smaller business so it's a really great opportunity to, to kind of show people how how you connect with each other. That sounds fantastic. And uh, a classmate of mine at Lewis and Clark Law School was Katie Brown, who is now the <laughs> governor of the state of Oregon. Mm-hmm. I think she was a class ahead of me, but I did know her. Uh, is the governor a friend of coastal tourism? Is she doing a good job for, uh, for your organization and your clientele? Yeah, so we don't work directly with her right. uh, per se, but she did, for example, um, the Oregon Coast Trail. She had, we have an official designation from her that it's one of the priority projects for the state. So thank you, Kate Brown. Um, because of that, we have state parks. All the state agencies 
are prioritizing our Oregon Coast Trail. And I say our as in the entire Oregon Coast, not just ACFA. Um, so because of that, we convene with the Oregon Department of Transportation, State Parks, Association of Oregon Counties. Um, so that's a great example of how she's been supportive. Well, I just want to give a shout out to, Kate, to, to Governor Brown uh, at, in Salem, uh, the governor of the great state of Oregon. She's been in office, what, about four, three, four years now, I mm-hmm. guess? Um and doing a great job. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, the trends that you're seeing. Are you seeing more international tourism to the Oregon coast? Is, are your outreach to New Zealand and and folks in Europe and Germany is that? Are you seeing that in the visitorship numbers? Or tell us about who's coming to the Oregon coast. Well, if you come to our global sales workshop at the People's Coast Summit, you'll learn all about it. <laughs> we'll, find out. we'll find out first. Well, and, yeah, before we leave the summit, let's let's go tick through some of the, uh, yeah. the details, the date. If people want to attend, uh, what website do they go to? Uh, fill us in on all those, all that information. Yes, so the People's Coast Summit is in Garibaldi, Oregon on October 7th and 8th. Coming up. Yeah, coming up really fast. Um, if you want more information, you can go to eventbrite.com and search the People's Coast in Garibaldi. It has all the registration information, and you can see the variety of workshops and keynote speakers we will have there. It sounds really cool. I was yeah. telling Erica that, you know, we can't, given the time, uh, I discovered this thing online just by wonderful happen chance, uh, ha- happenstance about... Oh, a couple weeks ago, I think. And there's just not enough time, Peter, to no. plan it out and get out there ourselves. But that. maybe next, next year. year we've got we, to go. It yeah, sounds so go. cool. I love this uh, top to bottom representation of the community. This is something mm-hmm. that we r- really believe in having everyone in a space. Um, it's really important for the high level thought leading, you know, senior managers uh, to interface with with people that are just, you know, mom and pop restaurant owners or uh, someone who's running an Airbnb and trying to figure out how to make that work. I mean, seeing all these people come together, all of their different perspectives all in one place, I think is really useful. It is, and I, and uh, I would love it if we could make it out there next year. Do you know where it's going to be yet? Next It'll be year? on the south coast. Okay. Oh, just C- your favorite part. I there understand. you go. City <laughs> well, to be decided. You know, one of the uh, other things I wanted to ask you about uh, about the region that you represent on the Oregon coast. Uh, one of the great features on this shoreline are these fantastic rivers and the salmon runs, and so part of the coastal recreation economy has to be. Even uh, is salmon, but also salmon in the rivers. Or do you guys extend your uh, work inland up these rivers or in these watersheds? How does the, the salmon uh, and recreational fishing industry work for you guys on these great rivers on the Oregon coast? Yeah, so our region is the Oregon coast, but that goes to the Cascade Mountains. So that goes inland, too, to some communities that aren't facing the right on the ocean. Right. Um, and yeah, fishing is definitely one of the major activities to do. And what we love about it is that you kind of have to go with a guide, an outfitter, in order to go fishing. It's kind of, if you're not from Oregon, you might not be able to show up, buy a fishing pole, buy your license, and know where to go. Right. And we love the idea that it's a local that can show you the proper way to do it, to make sure you're doing it in the safest way possible so you have the best experience and that you're really bringing economic value to that guide and outfitter in that town. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're definitely supportive of it. We work very closely with the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife. They're the ones that manage all the permits and license, and it's definitely one of our top activities. So in in the 
organization, do you have uh, do you commit time and energy to, to the support of the fishing guide industry? And how do you how do you support those independent guides? How do you help them find customers and clients and, and business? Yeah. So one way we do we work with OSU Oregon State University, mm-hmm. um, the Extension Office, and they do a guide and outfitter training. The Beavers. Yes, the Beavers. Yeah. I went to University of Oregon. Did you go Ducks? Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is an important distinguishing factor. I think everyone in our audience, whether or not you're familiar with uh, the Oregon coast, is undoubtedly familiar with the uh, University of Oregon uniforms on the football team. The best, you know, because Nike is, is headquartered there. That's just their outfit. They just do, just do you know, it. The best always <laughs> do some incredible uniforms. But, you know, the I, I've been to Austin State. I've seen a few games when mm-hmm. I was up there. It's a fantastic place. Great college town. Yeah, Eugene. come to Oregon. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but the fishing guides, and, and, and as an example of a, of a tourism sector, um, if I was a fishing guide and trying to promote my my business and my practice, um, what could I, how would I engage that with you? What kind of help could I get from your organization? Yeah, so the best step for them is usually to go to that local organization that we talked about, like that local visitor. The DMO. The local DMO. Yeah, you're on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have a website that lists um, businesses and locations on the coast. We're getting a new website soon. Oh, cool. Yeah, very exciting. So um, definitely ways like that and just making sure that's what's so important about networking and communicating is that even if you have a great product, it can be very hard for people to know about if you're sitting in a boat in the river and you're like, hmm, well, yeah. wish there was somebody in the boat with me. But if you're connecting and, and businesses know to like reference the visitors to you, if your local visitor center says, oh, hey, you want to go fishing today, you should go with this guide or you look at our website. Um, so it's important for those guides and outfitters to be talking to us and making sure we have accurate information for them. Right. Um, and we do provide guide and outfitter training, which works on those hmm. professional skills to become a guide and to become really, an yeah. outfitter. Be certified and all of that exactly, stuff. Really, yeah. through your organization Through, with Oregon State University okay that's fantastic mm-hmm. how long and what brought you into this line of work and tell us a little bit about your history and how you came to work for ACFA right so I actually have an environmental background I worked with communities around deciding what they want to do with their natural resources I studied international studies at the University of Oregon lived in South America for a year researched in the Amazon for a couple weeks um, and then I went over to Spain I lived there for a couple years and definitely saw the impact of tourism there. I lived in Paris. I saw the impacts there. And this job came up and I was like, hmm, I'm not sure if I'm really into tourism. Like, I'm definitely a world visitor myself. Uh-huh. Um, but the, the fact that my title is Destination Management Coordinator and I work with communities to decide what kind of visitors do they want, what kind of products do they want, like who are we as a community and how do we tell our story to visitors was like so interesting to me. Um, so I interviewed for the job from Paris I did my interview at 1 o'clock at wow. night. <laughs> That's awesome. Wearing my little blazer. And they're uh-huh. like, hey, what are you doing today? I'm like, it is 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I'm just here for you guys. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm from the Oregon coast myself, so I'm very passionate. It's like my favorite place on earth because that's where my family is from. So being able to use a lot of the work I've done internationally and then really supporting the communities where I grew up has just been the perfect job. Spectacular. Yeah, I have to say, you've sold me on the whole Oregon coast. It sounds awesome. And now, uh, one of the things that you're, you've said, and I think it's just so interesting about tourism, is that tourism can get a really bad name. Um, you know, we're tracking stories out of Kauai and the Hawaiian Islands where um, there's been, you know, 
serious over tourism. I mean, I had never heard the expression over tourism until yeah. the past year and a half or so. Yeah, it seems to be kind of a new word that's flying around. Palau, Southeast Asia, yeah. all around the world, uh, very popular spots that get just really overrun to the detriment of the natural habitat. That's the challenge of this. You want the but go ahead. Well, what I, I mean, what's interesting is that I think that tourism can be a um, it can be a, a way to earn an easy buck for a community and uh, a really like balanced, say, small town, a coastal small town in particular, can find that over the years your tourism, the, as a percent of your economy, tourism kind of ticks up, ticks up, ticks up. And then you're no longer really a town anymore. I mean, in the sense that all the stores are for people from out of town and uh, all the restaurants and bars are for people from out of town. And the town that used to be like a real bona fide thing is just no longer. And there's a ba- but but when it's done right and it is an, when tourism is of an appropriately sized wedge out of your pie chart, you know, um, it, it, it really is great. It brings in money. It creates jobs. Peter and I have used uh, tourism taxes to go toward beach renourishment and restoration projects. Mm-hmm. So the revenues that are generated from hotel occupancy taxes or whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. transient occupancy taxes, go, can go to uh, coastal restoration projects and, uh, you know, to pay for those things. And it's not an insignificant amount of money. So there's this balance that has to be struck. And it's interesting to me that that it seems like that's really how you're trying to approach your job is it's, it's not just, you know, pouring gasoline on the coastline and saying, let this party begin. You're, (laughs) you're, it's a very balanced thing. Um, that's, that's, uh, you know, talk about that balance. How do you know where it is? What do you, how do you, do you feel it? Do you, how do you, how do you know right. what's right? And I do a lot of like community presentations and outreach so people understand better what our role is. And people always say like, well, how did you decide to do this? And I'm like, we didn't, I didn't, I don't sit in a room and think like, Oh, this would be a good idea. We should mm-hmm. probably focus on this. We do a lot of surveys. We do outreach. We try to see what a community wants. Um, so a really cool example is like a food trail. We have a food trail on the South coast called the wild rivers coast food trail and it's all local businesses so you can go into a cranberry bog you can go to a nursery and it's all family owned that are right there and then you can follow that itinerary so we're not just do you hike from uh, you know is it a hiking trail kind of thing not necessarily it's along the entire it's like quite a few it's like quite a bit of mileage it's on the south coast but it's the idea that it's like a wine tasting trail yes yeah so it's great because you like you're specifically choosing to use locally sourced food and people in that area so that's a cool way to choose like what you're doing and i know earlier you said that everything you do sounds so strategic and when yeah. we develop our two-year plan we use the research like what do people want to come here for what are they spending money on what do our communities want and like my boss is like the movie like a beautiful mind there's like all these maps everywhere and he's like attaching strings <laughs> to like research and it looks totally insane but we really we have every two years create a new plan because the tourism industry changes really fast mm. and we try to do it in a way that communities can be supportive of it and be supported by it so what are you saying and and you you talk about the evolution of of how we use and enjoy the coast and i think that's true historically all around the american shoreline uh it constantly is evolving Uh, what trends are you starting to see that might be different over the last couple of years i would um i think that people really like the local scene 
you know, people want that local brew, the local food. So that's a cool one. But we also see like the Oregon coast is becoming a trend and it wasn't, you know, when my grandparents grew up there and lived there, it wasn't like the hot spot to go to. And now you see like in the North coast, the beaches are absolutely packed. Like seaside, it does look like a beach in California. There's towels everywhere. There's people everywhere. So for locals that have lived there for a long time, they're like, I'm not sure if I like this big change in the amount of people, the amount of traffic and congestion. So there's those negative trends that you see. Um, But I think there are all those travelers as well that are, they want to, they want to go fishing with you and really using those industries that were traditional, like fishing and hunting, you know, visitors like, I want to do what you did. Can you show me? And then locals are like, oh, I can use my knowledge and experience and give that to somebody else um, and bring economic value. And it's authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you get people to think about going, when you want the, the tourism impact to be distributed better mm-hmm. and not so concentrated in Seaside or Manzanita or in Cannon Beach? Um, how do you, I mean, is it simply a matter of advertising and say, guess what? Do you know what's going on down in Neatarts or whatever? Is that right? How do you pronounce it? I forget. Yeah, is it Neatarts? <laughs> yes. <laughs> or down in Florence or down in Pacific City or down at Yahats and all of these other southern coasts. Coos Bay is a spectacular place to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, how, how do you, what's the strategy for that? Yeah, so some of it is marketing for sure and working with the state and what they're marketing. So through newsletters and social media and again, showing things that people could do during winter so uh, they're coming during that time of year as well right um yeah is it's kind of a hard balance to play but also when you have larger cities that have you know an that have a bigger team than us. We'll say maybe we'll help give a little more resources to that tiny town that doesn't even have a chamber of commerce, but they okay. have businesses that are like, no, no, we, we want people to come up here and go fishing. Um, so it's really a lot of stakeholder outreach, um, survey responses. Yeah. That sounds great. Well, just, I think it's very interesting and I would reiterate that it is so darn strategic and, um, we've been, again, we've been, we always knew that we would need to talk about and cover uh, tourism on the American shoreline. And I just am so thrilled that we had this opportunity to talk today, uh, Erica, about uh, your organization, uh, the People's Coast Summit, which is coming up in uh, a little over a month. And uh, I just think it's going to be great. I just think the work you're doing is, is it's so well thought through. There's so much more that goes into this than what the average uh, Joe on the street understands and it's great to talk to you about it. It is because if, if people think it's seamless and automatic and you go to the coast and there's great places to go and places to park and interesting things to find uh, that's not just organic. That takes a lot of work and a lot of focus by the business community and the uh, and the towns and w- in this case the state to work together to create that visitor experience and to promote this in a healthy way. So it sounds like a great job, Erica. Yeah, for sure. And I think anybody listening that works in tourism, especially tourism marketing, if you're not thinking about, if you're not working with tourism management, I highly recommend it because you'll be marketing an authentic, locally supported product when you're working on the management side of it, which will be more beneficial to your visitors and your local communities. So here's Sounds your call great. to action, destination management. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Erica Sears from the Oregon Coast Visitors Association, and I'm going to try to get your title. It's the, uh, it's it, what is it again? Destination Manager? 
Destination Management Coordinator. Destination Management Coordinator for the Oregon Coast Visitors Association. Thanks so much for being on the American Shoreline Podcast and have a great conference in October. And hopefully we'll get a chance to come up and visit that fantastic coast that you work on. Thanks. Jesus said